Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another week of the OC Office Hour here on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast, our in-season series to discuss all things offense. And joining me today is the offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Maulers of the USFL, John Tomlinson. John, it's great to have you back here on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. John, you have the ability now to be working on all of your things football, yet at the same time watching some incredible games. Something that I was talking to Dan Carroll the other day over the weekend. He's like, man, I really have never gotten to do this, watch this many games. You know, you're usually working during this time. So you have that ability to be working on your things, yet you see these these great games as well. Yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting weekend watching other coaches go through that same development process that, you know, we had the same opportunity to go through in the spring. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, mixed reviews on a lot. Football is football. Some guys are going to start fast, some won't. But I definitely could feel the pain of some of what I saw. And, you know, you, you, you take what you evaluate and you think back on the things that you went through. And this is a great time for me because it allows me to, one, look inward, Always look at the things that you can correct. And then, you know, when you watch others go through that, you know in your mind, okay, this is what we need to do to get better, and these are the things we're going to work on going forward. So really a good weekend of football overall. And I believe the teams that may have struggled a little bit, I promise you, a lot of those coaches will have solutions going through uh, the week in preparation for next weekend. One of the comments that came up, uh, a few times, I heard it a few times this weekend. I think I heard it twice on Sunday. Was a, a commentator, and he's usually you know one of the guys who's a coach or a former player saying, "Well, they run a really QB friendly offense." And you know we're definitely going to dig into this today. But let's start with that. To you, what's the definition of a QB friendly offense? Oh my gosh, that is a. Uh a broad term in so many ways and, and having come out of a, a developmental pro league, you know, at the end of the day in, in evaluating quarterbacks, every coach has a baseline philosophy. And, you know, when you come up with your philosophy and what your beliefs are, you just want to make sure the guy can do some basic fundamental things in terms of execution, whether it's quick game, whether it's going through pure progression, 
Oh, you may be a big two high, one high, two high read type of guy. You just want to make sure at the end of the day, can the guy do exactly what we're asking him to do? Um, and then once you develop the premise that this is what his baseline is, I know how he's been taught before. I know the program he came out of. Then it's a matter of, hey, what do you like? And I know we've had this discussion before, um, and I've had this conversation with quarterbacks. Once you can get that baseline down, what are the things that he likes to do? Uh, and in being QB friendly, you want to stay right within that sweet spot. You, you know, you want to you want to function in a way where he can execute those things because the things that he likes to do, really, he does in practice. He shows you it's through his actions, and they're consistent. And then once you found that sweet spot, you slowly, incrementally build on it. Um, but I've been in places where coaches say, man, I really love this concept. This is great. I don't understand why he can't do it. Well, it's probably because it's not something that he likes to do. So my definition of having something that that's QB friendly is just focusing on after you've gotten the, the foundations of what the coach's expectation is of a great offense, staying within a, a realm of what the guy can do consistently, week in, week out, and then just building on it. You know, whether it's through shifts and motions, whether it's through different formations, it's the same thing over and over over again. And if you don't believe that, just go back to Marvin Harrison and uh, Peyton Manning. They didn't run a lot of concepts, but boy, uh, Marvin ha- Harrison always lined up on the right. They ran that same levels concept to death. <laughs> they ran slant flat, and they had tons of success. And, and you know, they built on it with a couple of little things to fool your eyes, but it was the same concepts. And it was friendly for Peyton. Peyton did well with it. He controlled it, and he went to his guy, but he mixed it up as well. Yeah, I think that's a great definition, Coach. And when you look at some of the things you can do to get that information out of your quarterback, you pointed out there, number one, watch it on film, right? What is he doing in your practice film, in your situational uh, periods that show what he can do well, right? And you'll discover some things he's not doing well either and and that's the opportunity to start to to set those aside but I think the conversations are important too and and we might have even talked about a, a couple of these I, I found two great things that were brought up on, on the podcast to be one from high school coach here in northeast Ohio at St. Edward High School Tom Lombardo talked about what he does during the week where he has some periods where he lets the quarterbacks call it you know his first team guy his second team guy etc and then he just yep. goes through and takes takes notes on what they called and how they did yep. on that play. And I thought that that was brilliant, you know, to set aside some of that, right, unscripted, and to get to know, if I give you the keys to the car here, what are you going to do with them? What are you calling in these situations? So whatever's done there, you know, you, know, you go and let them run it, and then there's certainly teachable moments. And there's something for you to learn as a coach, from that as well. And the other one is kind of goes along that same line. Andrew Coverdale, who's at uh, St. Xavier near Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, he's a, a 12-time state champion offensive coordinator at the high school level. He has every week what he calls his like it and love it list that he goes through with each of his quarterbacks. And they tell him, yeah, I like this. I love it. And he said, you know, you got to have the conversations. I think whatever that sheet turns out to be, at least you're speaking with the quarterback. So I think a couple things there in addition to what you said. Yeah, it's got to show up on film. Yes. I, I love what you said. I like it and love it. Uh, my head coach with the Marlers and been a great mentor. And 
has really helped me understand the world of pass protection so much better. He said, JT, let's make sure we got our hot love list for the quarterback. And so the hot love list is just like the coach that you mentioned. Uh, it's what he likes, and that's what we go with. And, and Coach Lombardo, great in terms of what he's doing with those guys. We have a period just like that. And it's a lot of it is our two minutes. Yes. We give him the ingredients. He just mixes the ingredients and those ingredients obviously are concepts. And then he goes out there and he, you know, he calls those in his order with his, within his belief. And we just, we create a situation around it. Hey, one time out, 142, ball in the minus 28, we're down by six and he runs it. And so that allows us one to evaluate what he really does understand. And is he really making cookies? Or is he making mud pies? Uh, so, you know, we give him the ingredients. We want to see what 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 he comes up with in terms of putting those ingredients together. I love that though. I love what Coach Lombardo's doing. Yeah, the the two minutes is is something that actually came up uh, a couple weeks ago, or I guess it was last week with Eric Marty, another USFL guy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we were talking about that exact thing in the two minute. That's something I always like to do, and it. You know, for me, it wasn't initially because I wanted them to understand a little bit and you know get an example of what what we're thinking and what the thought process might be in two minute. But you know, to get to a, a point in the season where you just turn those practices and those situations over to them, and again, make note of what they're calling and and ask right. those questions. You know, hey, I saw you called this like two or three times, but you didn't touch this play at all. Is is there a reason? What are you seeing? And then you start to hear from him what makes him right. feel most comfortable about that. And I think it's, it's a process that goes back and forth. If you're not getting that feedback and input from your quarterbacks, well, then you're certainly not fitting that uh, definition of a QB-friendly system. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Because the other thing we were talking about before we got going, and, and neither of us saw it till this morning when we were watching Cowboys-Bucks last night, Dak Prescott goes out. You know, this morning when I turned it on, the first thing I saw on, on uh, Good Morning Football was that Dak was out for some time with, uh, I guess, a, a broken finger, a broken bone in his hand. I'm not sure exactly what it was. But that, that brings us to um, this idea of next man up. You always want that number one guy. You want to protect him. You want to do smart things with him during the season. But, man... Sometimes you do lose him, and you look at the Cowboys right now, week one, their guy's gone, and they have to find some things that are going to work for them with their new quarterback. So your thoughts overall just on preparing that next man up? Yeah, um, great observation, and I've done a couple of clinic talks just about this, and to me, I think being an offensive coordinator and a position coach, I don't care what your position is, it's imperative that you can't just live in the lap of luxury on your number one guy, especially at the quarterback position. And I've, I've always told uh, guys when I go to clinics, coaches, you're only as good as your number two because at some point he is going to play. Very, very seldom, no matter what the system is that you're running, are you going to make it through an entire season playing that guy because after the first game he's probably not a hundred percent anymore anyway man that's across positions guys they degrade over the season especially pro ball 
So for me, I've always tried to, one, love all those guys the same. You know, when you raise kids, you, you know, you may treat them a little differently, but your principles are always the same. One requires a different level of attention and love uh, that maybe another one doesn't. One is more self-sufficient. The second one may not be. You got to, not want to say coddle them, but you got to approach them a little bit differently in terms of development. Well, in the quarterback room, in terms of what you do, you need to be keeping a running list of the things, that hot love list for that number two, because at some point that player's going to have to play. How else do you do it besides it just being a virtual lesson? Well, you need to split that practice script up. And it can't just be, oh, I'm going to get my number two six reps in seven on seven. That's not live bullets. That's underwear Olympics. You know, it's seven on seven. So how do you do that? To me, it has to be situational. You know, sometimes throw the number two out there and you're already letting, you know, the other guys know in the room. As you know, I always like to give practice scripts and all that information out very early so they know what's going on. So you give them the opportunity to succeed because, hey, one, they're studying what's expected. They know what's coming on day two of practice. So when they go out uh, next day, it's a situational period, boom. Now they have the chance to execute some of the live bullet periods. So I think that's how you have to do it. How you do it in terms of pitch count is really up to the coach. Uh, but I really believe if you're already outside of a true competitive Who's my number one? If you already know this, number two has to get reps, and you have to put them in various situations, whether it's two-minute, whether it's uh, low red zone, whether it's high red. It could be backed up, or we always – we don't like to call it backed up. We like to call it coming out because I'm still driving 99 and I'm going to score. I mean, that's the mindset. You know, sometimes it doesn't work that way, but that's what you try to do. You have to put that person – in those situations, balls on the minus one. Tommy, it's it's time for you to go out. Tommy's the backup. Tommy goes under center, going 99. What is he going to do? Is he going to muff the snap? I mean, so if you don't give him the reps, you'll never know what he can do. And so I think that's where you have to start. You have to start by giving those guys opportunities in practice to get reps. And so let's be more specific. If it's a 20-play practice script, and uh, it's that first full padded day of, of the week. Um, you know, there's a recognition period. You, you know, you're talking about, hey, this is what we're going to do with upcoming opponent. Yeah, you want to give your one those reps. You want to make sure they understand them. Well, give those repeat reps towards the middle of the script or towards the end. And so if it's 20 plays, you may want to go 14-6 or 12-8, or and that, that probably, that's almost 50%. You may not want to do that, but make sure you're giving this guy some opportunities to instinctively know what's going on. If you have a competitive period to start practice, sometimes people like to do that. We've done that. Uh, we were just totally changing the whole scenario of everything. It could be four plays. You yep. got four plays to score. The ball's on the plus 20. All right, well, you know, if we're going to give the starter four, give the other guy four plays. And so that's that's what I mean by, you know, giving this person these opportunities. Can you afford to spend maybe seven more minutes of practice? I would think you can. So if you already know, generally speaking, how much time you're going to spend in practice, if it's a 90-minute or a two-hour, man, commit to taking a couple of more minutes and putting this person in some adverse situations so they're more prepared. And that's going to help their engagement, I believe. 
but at the same time, you now have put in those reps. They're like it's like a deposit. You put money in the bank because you've given them the reps. It it's a choice you have to make, and you have to be uh, you have to commit to that. And I think that's how you get that done. And then when they come off the bench, they're just a little bit more prepared. For sure, I think a lot of it is the the conversations during the week too. Um, as yeah. as we mentioned, getting that that hot list together. You know, I could think of the the process I liked was, you know, on a, a well, a lot of it would be done Sunday, but you know, we'd give our guys Sundays off, Mondays they were in and working, and you know, having the just an informal meeting with my number one and my number two. We wanted both of those guys in there, and here's here's the game plan, here's what we're thinking. Get some feedback from them. Sometimes, you know, they they have some valid points. And then over the course of the week to keep reviewing that too. So you go through a practice, you know, would you feel good about today? You know, looking at that board rather than, you know, trying to have the conversation without something in front of you to look at, you know, taking 10 right. minutes, bring them in the office, let them see the board. Would you like what needs work, et cetera. And I think by, you know, a Thursday, you've, you've pared down your call sheet to what is like best, especially by that starter. And then I'd always type that up and uh, Friday morning, which is, you know, Friday afternoon was going to be a, a walkthrough practice where usually we were off in the morning. So we'd come in around noon, have lunch, and those guys would come in. And then the focus was, all right, here's the call sheet. Go through it one more time. You know, talk to me about anything here you don't feel comfortable with. By that time, for the one, it's usually good. For the two, I'd give them a highlighter and say, highlight the th- if you had to go in, highlight the things you would want called right away. And, you know, that that's a tool that's filed away that definitely is, is being brought up into the press box with me in case we hit that situation. Then I have something yep. that, that right away I'm only looking at those passes that he really likes or whatever it might be, the RPOs, whatever things that, um, you know, require him to make some decisions, I'm going to call those plays he feels best about. Now, you know, you might have to go out outside of that a little bit at times, but I think, you know, again, going back to that idea of being quarterback friendly is that you're calling things that you know they're confident in and that they can get the ball out too. I think that's the other key. You know, and adding in the other pieces of offense, the the best offense is the ones that get going, especially early in the game. Uh, you see them just... You know, it's almost like they're creating layups for their guys, right? It's instead of having them chucking up three pointers, these guys are shooting layups. Easy stuff. Right. Get the ball out quick before you get into some of the more complex stuff that you may have to execute over the course of the game. So really thinking about that too, thinking about your offensive line, right? I think that's a big part of this. What can they protect? Because right. a quarterback friendly system isn't gonna put that guy under fire all the time. Because his guys can only do so much for him. So, it, if you would just, you know, kind of bring that together. I know you mentioned protection before, but in creating something that's quarterback friendly, things you like to do that just help get that ball out quickly. It's going to be a help both to you as a quarterback and a help to the offensive line. Yeah. So, one one thing, and I just a quick comment. I remember when I spent time at North Carolina Central, our offense coordinator was Moses Ware. Moses would always say very uh, West Coast-oriented guy. He would always say, JT, if we can't block it, we're not running it. 
can't protect it, concept's not going in, which obviously that makes a lot of sense, but he, that was his mantra. It, it would be constant. And so in putting things together, obviously a lot of that lives into that, you know, quick game world that you're talking about. You know, when, when I mean quick game, of course, you know, it's 200, 300 jet could be some RPOs, definitely could be screens, layups, things that get the quarterback going early, spreading the box out just a little bit to help the quarterback. Could be 11 personnel, could be 10. I love tight ends, and so I like 11 and 12, but these are the things that help the quarterback get into a rhythm and and help him understand, you know, hey, this is where I need to go with the ball. In terms of the screen game, that's always a plus. And some of that could just be born out of the RPO world in terms of manipulating a defender, but knowing where we can go with the ball quickly, not putting too much stress on the line, taking care of the box, blocking the four down on the front. And so now the quarterback's read is isolated on one guy. So these are just a a couple of areas that I believe uh, allows the guy to get confidence, get going early, get into a rhythm, and moving at some level of a tempo. You know, I do believe some of the two-minute tempo stuff always helps. And this takes me back to what I was saying earlier. Now, some of it's dropped back, but our guys were pretty good at it. And it's something that when you were talking, it made me think of it. I didn't mention it earlier, but I think another way to get the number two, even the number one a little bit more oriented into what we're doing, let them call it, like you said. Let them call the plays. So before we pass on to, you know, giving these guys two-minute and Hey, here, here are five concepts. You got it. Let the number two on the sideline call it for the number one. And then when he gets comfortable, he's having fun, obviously, because he's feeling like he's a coach now anyway. And I've always said, you're the extension of me on the field. Uh, you are the coach. Let him call it. Same thing. When the one comes off and the two goes on, let him call it. So now they're extremely engaged in the process. So now when they call it, they know what it feels like. Hey, I called this. I put him in this situation. I'm not going to put him in an adverse situation because, one, he buys into the concept. He loves the concept. He executes something that he loves. He asked me to put this on his list, and he's done it. Not only he's done it, he's called it himself in a situational part of practice. So, you know, these are just some of the things um, that we've done, and I believe that you have to do. Uh, I do believe in a lot of shifts and motions. But I think when you're in those early teaching phases, keep everything as stagnant as you can so he can just see what the shell looks like without the movement. Once he's executed at a high level and he's consistent and he's getting the ball out quickly, whether it's pure progression or you're reading uh, the shell to determine which side to go left or right, then you do the movement. Then you do the shifts and explain to him, hey, you know, they should, in, in this particular formation, this is the alignment, this is what they do. We're going to add this shift motion in, and then you're going to see a move, and, and let's just see if the key is still the same. And if he can read it out that way, then we're, we're definitely working towards a, a masterpiece. And, and I go back to my Peyton Manning and uh, Marvin Harrison example. They were very stationary. They lined up fast. They ran the concept. The ball was out. Then they'd add a little shift in motion as a part of, you know, honestly, trickery to you on the defensive side. It's just, it's fluff stuff, but they run the same concept. So for me, it's a progression of it uh, in terms of teaching it. 
Can you do it? Can you do it without moving any pieces? And now let's move chess pieces on the board. And can you do it again? Uh, it's the same concept, by the way. And so that's, that's some of the stuff that I believe is important. And then you add the speed element into it. And, and those guys are involved in that heavily, whether it's, whether it's uh, them calling it to the, for the other quarterbacks or them just executing it in situations. And then the last component that I believe that makes these guys a lot more confident is how we meet. You know, I'm going to meet, I'm going to preach the gospel to them in terms of what we need to do, uh, what the progression is, what the defense is doing, what the premise of the defense is doing, how they're set up in terms of their philosophy. But the other part is, is I've always asked my quarterbacks, hey, I need you to put together a playlist. I need you to have the receivers in here, the O-line at this particular time. And, you know, that's a, that's a thing every week. So it's a players-only offensive meeting. You know, and I give him the ingredients, and he runs the meeting. He conducts it because I've conducted my meeting with him. Now, if he can regurgitate that information, then that lets me know, okay, he's now the coach just like uh, I'm the coach, but he's the coach on the field. He's conducting the same meeting. They're hearing him. He's regurgitating these learning principles. So now by the time he hits the field, he's heard it multiple times. He's preached it as well, and he's done it in practice. Well, I love that idea of the – the player offensive meeting. Now, um, to be clear, is that something you'll sit in on then and, and see yeah. how he's working and how proficient he is in communicating that? Absolutely. I'll sit way in the back. And sometimes I intentionally try not to come in until after he starts maybe two minutes or so, just so the, the attention of the room is already on him. I'm in the next room anyway, but I'll just pop in like after he gets going. Yeah, I think that's a, a great idea. You know, we, we say all the time, you know, if when you're learning, the ability to teach something shows that now you really have mastered whatever subject matter that you're studying. You've mastered it when you can teach it. So I think that's a, a great part of this process. I had a, a question on you. As you said, you're talking about just different ways you would start to get that number two guy uh, proficient in the offense and going stagnant first, right? Not using shifts and motions. Yeah. For you, and I would imagine this is, is something that progresses to where you're comfortable with certain things over the course of the season, but let's say it's early on and you have that, that change has to happen for whatever reason, that guy's playing, you know, injury or whatever. Are you in the course of a game, maybe taking off whatever shifts and motions you might have planned to be a little bit more stagnant when that guy goes in, or are you going to roll with the way the plays were called during the week? More than likely. Uh, because I'm already giving him a menu of things because I'm, I'm trying to do this in preparation of something catastrophic possibly happening. I try to do this during the week. So I know going in, oh, he's already done this. Um, now, if he hasn't done some of these things and we game plan kind of heavily for the number one and we go in with the number two, uh, I, I may progressively add the motions and stuff in as we go through the course of the game just so we can get out of the game. But, of course, you know, we're still thinking we're going to win this thing, but we don't want to overwhelm this guy. I mean, that that is – we've been in situations like that before. The guy gets hurt, now we got the number two in, and we don't have the volume in. And so we can't – you know, we, we haven't done all of the things that we've done with the number one. But the package is already put in place. We know we have some things for this guy. We'll just go with that. 
if he says to me, hey, I coach, I can handle it. I, I remember we ran it earlier this week. He gave me that particular play in practice. Uh, I'm good with this one. We'll, we'll run it. You know, but we, we might scale it a little bit in the middle of a chaotic situation. Right. Coach, looking at more of, of the big picture of offense, and last week Eric Marty and I talked about uh, developing a smooth operator, using a smooth operator at the quarterback's position, but today you brought up before we got going – you saw a very smooth op- operation, and we were very impressed by the USC Trojans offense. So tell us what you saw in that that you liked. Yeah, you know, and I've been watching Coach Riley, you know, uh, since he was up before Oklahoma, actually, he was East Carolina. And, um, you know, he's a systematic guy in terms of what he wants to know, uh, you know, conceptually, run some air raid stuff, definitely a tempo guy. The menu is not overwhelming. And that's why I like him because, yeah, he might have some volume in that book, but in terms of the execution, those guys got to graduate. There's some things that he wants to see them do, and and they're just a part of what his overall belief system is. And Caleb Williams was on point, Um, getting the ball out quickly. That internal clock of his is running smoothly uh, against a really good team. Um, You know, Stanford is not a – easy win and I feel like they just came in there and they executed at a high level and they came out with the victory and it just looked very good early and, and they do have some dudes now in that wide receiver core and that definitely makes a quarterback happy they're where they're supposed to be I think in order as coach said coach Marty said smooth operator a smooth operator can only be as good as the guys on the other end of where he's putting that ball they need to be where they're supposed to be and I think in watching USC, you know, when that quarterback gets to the top of his drop and he's going through his progression, guys are where they're supposed to be, and he's putting that ball where it's supposed to be. And that's that's what looked really good about uh, just their execution. And, you know, you saw some of that yesterday in some pro games, especially for the guys that were on the, uh, on the win side of the, you know, column. Definitely. And – you brought up the receivers there and some important points. And I was watching a, a high school game Friday night, and uh, this team runs a lot of compressed sets. But the issue I saw is when they would drop back, the, the players, the receivers, did not have a good feel for uncompressing that space. I love compressed sets. There's a lot you could do with it. It gives you more gaps to defend. You know, you're spreading out the front and creating gaps there, you know, but if if you're starting to run some of those things that maybe you run from a spread offense, you guys have to understand the landmarks are still way out there where they were before that you can't, you can't run it this tight. Otherwise, it's all congested. The windows become so small for the QB, and that's not very quarterback friendly. Right, exactly. And that just goes back to the, the point. I think sometimes guys, you know, we see things that look good on TV, and when it comes time to executing it, the, the most important part is to be able to make sure that the language carries over to the players. Hey, we're in this compressed set for a reason. This is why we're doing this. This is where you should be. And if it goes, if it comes down to you taking Visio or whatever editing tool that you use, you literally have to put landmarks and rules on a piece of paper and there's no no fault in doing that because most of these young players are very visual so 
So they need to see that. And so if they can see it, it helps them have a better understanding. Oh, this is where you want me to go. You want me to go uh, minus two yards toward two yards inside the hash, or you want me to be uh, four yards outside of the hash. You want me to spray release this particular uh, five yard out so I can be at my landmark. You have to teach the why, because if you don't, they're just going to keep jacking it up. And it's just going to frustrate the quarterback when he gets to his drop because it's not uh, it's going to look cloudy, as you said. Yeah. Well, you make some great points there. And, you know, we get into, especially as the year goes on, we've taught things. And so it's the replication of a concept put into a new or different package, a different look. And you still have to consider what do I have to coach this guy up on? So, as you said, that that maybe a post, as an example, might require a different release in order to get, you know, the spacing and timing that you want out of that compressed situation. So you just have to think about the landmarks. How do you adjust those? And it's, to me, that's handled early in the week. I always like to walk through first, first practice of the week of anything that needed adjustments. I always look at it as, you know, we're not putting anything new in, but here's some adjustments to what we're doing. And based on this, you know, here's a coaching point you need to be aware of this week, right? And then you're able to refer back to that as the week goes on and make sure that that guy understands how to apply it and now something right. maybe different than you put that you put him in. Right. Exactly. I, I think that's, man, that's, that, that is that it goes back to those ingredients that we were talking about. You know, some of those ingredients are not just, Hey, quarterback, I'm gonna give you these five concepts. It's making sure that this guy understands without a shadow of a doubt, the concept, the why, the where, the pass protection, who the line is responsible for, who the running back is responsible for, what my drop is, what are my alerts, and is it a hot in the concept? You know, some guys, they philosophically don't build their hots in. Some do, some don't. You gotta, you have to go over all of that. And then, you know, you got to make sure that the receivers understand the landmarks. And that's why I said you can never go wrong by making sure the picture is right. But that's really – as, as a mentor of mine has always said, listen, the picture is just, they're just symbols on a piece of paper. The dude that you ask to run the concept make the symbols on the piece of paper come alive. He does not care about pictures. He can, he, it makes no, no uh, difference to him. It's all about the guys, the Jimmys and Joes. I understand that. I think when it just comes to preparing the guys, you got to make sure that it's well understood way in advance uh, so when you go out and the bullets start to uh, fly, they understand. And, and that's the easiest way to identify with who can and can't get it done. Hey, I'll put this in a language that you understand, that you agree to. Now I need you to execute it. And if I've conveyed the language and you don't get it, first I need to look within myself, point the finger at me. What am I not explaining correctly? Maybe they're not visual. You know, it's all about trying to find what type of learner this guy is. And you know, that has to happen very early. If it's, you know, if it's just college ball or, or some places in the country where you do have uh, spring ball, is defined extremely early. Um, and it's, that's, that's the wintertime. By the time we get to the season, it's, it's maintenance. Uh, it's all about maintenance. Even when it comes to getting this number two ready, those are things that we have to do in the spring. And we need to be a little bit more liberal with it in the spring. So by the time we get to the fall, it's just an order of operation. It's something that we do, and they know it, 
and it's built in weekly. You know, the com- from the communication to the reps, to even giving them a couple of plays. Heck, I mean, if it's a high school, you, maybe you let your your young quarterback go down to the JV and, you know, sit there with the young quarterback on the sideline. Uh, not to, to piss the coach off, but just to be a, a, a friend of the quarterback in, in terms of helping through execution and talking to him when he comes off the field. It's those little things, they matter. Definitely. Well, coach, to, to wrap up today, and kind of a, a shift here in, in what we're talking about, but uh, for high schools, some of them are approaching midseason. I know here in Ohio, we're in week five already. Wow. I know where wherever we're at around the country, everybody's got enough games in now that a self-scout can tell you a whole heck of a lot about who you are as an offense, as well as what the other people might be looking at and seeing out of you. So uh, any tips you have on the self-scout? One, I guess, first part in you know best practices in, in doing it and putting it together, knowing that most people have limited time. And then two, what you do with the information? Oh, that's an awesome question. So, you know, we did this weekly, but I'm going to tell you where I think the best self-scout comes from, your defensive coordinator. <laughs> if you're an offensive let that guy help you. And what I mean by that is, is as you uh, – first of all, analytics are important. We can pull a lot of this from whatever platform that you're using. You know, I'm very familiar with XOs and – uh, DV Sport, and Huddle. So that information never lies to you. Long before the season begins, you know, you, you need to have whoever these coaches are that are responsible for this information, putting it in and churning it. They need to create this report weekly, even during scrimmages. So how the, how the film is labeled and everything else is important. So now we don't get through this, oh, man, we need to hurry up and do the self-scout. If, it's, if everything is labeled correctly, that coach that's responsible for it can go ahead and produce the reports on a weekly basis. So you track the reports, but then you go to your defensive coach and you get his perspective. Hey coach, you know, every time you line up in this formation, now I'm just tell, sharing this with you because this is what I see. That's helpful. It's, it's good to one, look at the analytics that you see from the reports, but besides your head coach, ask your defensive coordinator because they know, they, you know, they go against you every week in these situational periods or these competitive periods, and they can tell you what their thoughts are in terms of upcoming opponents and how they may play certain things. So that's, I would definitely say, involve your staff and the guys on the other side of the ball, especially if you have enough coaches that are coaching offenses on the offense and defensive side. Uh, you'll never go wrong with that. I think that's always helpful. So that's those two places I would definitely say always trust the analytics because it tells you what you're consistently doing. And then number two, use those coaches on that other side of the ball. And that should be a weekly conversation. Typically that post-mortem, once you've gotten the players out of the building on Saturday after a Friday night game, that goes a long way. Those coordinators need to have conversations together. I couldn't agree with you more. And there are those situations, you know, when I was at Baldwin Wallace, we, we, ran scout exchange, right? So we mm. didn't go against our good, you know, our good on good a lot. However, we would have periods, always like first five minutes. Uh, I think we yeah. were limited to, you know, maybe it was four or five plays, but the good on good. And, and to me, that was always the lab too, right? If there was something, an adjustment, maybe something 
different we were doing. I wanted to run it there. And I was asking those questions. Or sometimes they were just giving the comments, man, you know, that formation and the boundary stuff you're doing, that's that's pretty tough against the type of defense you're going to see. That's what you want to hear. Or, yeah. you know, or, or hey, that, that motion against these guys probably won't have that much of an effect. You know, so now yep. you, you, you go back to the lab and say, okay, how am I going to tweak this? This is what they're seeing. So couldn't agree more that those are two great ways to get it done. Um, the second part, Coach, was that you got that information, um, especially as it involves some tendencies. What do you do with that information now? How, how much are you trying to break those tendencies? Or how long do you let those tendencies go on till maybe you try to break them? Man, as soon as, soon as you get that information – that's what you should be going into your your next week thinking and considering. You, you're talking about teams that have a chance to to be uh, playoff eligible or teams that are their programs, like they reload every year. These are things that you want to be able to go into every week. I know coaches, and I've done it as well, like I literally have notes that I take, you know, from the, these conversations, and every week I'll build in some tendency breakers for something that may not occur for two or three weeks down the line. But but I do it because I know you're going to scout. You're going to scout us. You're going to break it down. So I want to put some things in that, you know, may trip you up and just denormalize the tendencies that you typically see that are in the analytics. And, you know, it, it'll be at different points in the game, but I, I want to keep you aware of it. Look, it could be running an option with the quarterback. You have to practice it. <laughs> so um, I believe as soon as you can get the information, the tip or the tail, you start to apply it into the game plan weekly. And, you know, I, I've heard this honestly, not trying to create a church sermon, but I, I've heard a preacher say this one time. You always think of the end. When you're planning goals, think of the end first. So you plan for that in mind. I want to be in a championship game, so I start to prepare for that game long in advance and so some of these things i lay out i put in a notebook for, for down the line it could be week three week four uh and then i don't share that with everybody but these are notes that i just help myself in terms of uh you know breaking some of those tendencies it may not be a lot of things but there's a there's an approach that's already in place and i just have to stick with it and i think sometimes having a great head coach always helps with that because you know, they're, they're looking at the overall. They're looking at the special teams, the, the, the three phases. And they may come to you and say, hey, man, keep this in mind. You know, when you when you run this concept, you're always in the gun. And so they may say it's 100%. You may want to break that. And so, okay, now let me put this guy in the center in this particular situation to, to break this tendency that the defense is probably picking up. So I, I try to do it immediately. And it's a weekly commitment. Uh, so I don't get too caught up. I like that approach, that you start to work on it right away, knowing that, you know what, this this particular week, this opponent, I may still be able to maintain that tendency so that later on as I continue to get better at this tendency breaker, you know, I may need it in a bigger game that just lining up and doing it, whether they know it or not, it might right. not be the best thing. So I think that's a great approach to it. Yeah, you have to. You just... Just stay, keep keep yourself honest. You know what I mean? Uh, th this thing goes so fast. You know, in December, everybody's going to be calling you. <laughs> Late December, early January. And, and everybody's looking for solutions for 2023. So that's why I always say, like, you always prepare with the end in mind. 
Uh, and it could just be little things. But, you know, building this offense, it, it is like a family tree. There's a lot of branches to it. And taking notes, keeping track of thoughts, just as a coordinator uh, is important. Not leaving who you are and what your core value system is and what you believe in. Hey, the execution is showing. We're having success here. But just being able to just make some small modifications as you go through and not, and that get you far off the reservation is important uh, because it keeps the defense at bay and they don't know what the heck, you, what your thoughts are, what you're doing. Coach, I certainly appreciate you taking the time. I know you're still working and getting ready for 2023. That's your season coming up here. But uh, definitely appreciate your insight into these topics we uh, brought up here today. And certainly would love to have you back later in the season to share some more. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Coach. Thanks for the time. There's some links in the show notes to Coach's Clinic Talks on developing a young quarterback. That's a two-part series. Be sure to check that out. He digs into detail on some of the things that we talked about here today. So if you're interested, be sure to get that resource. Follow us all season long for our in-season episodes on coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.